morning, everyone. It's Matt back with you again on a Sunday morning, and I'm excited to have an opportunity to bring the word this morning. I'm also going to be at our drive-in service this afternoon at 3 o'clock. How many of you are going to be at the Shakopee campus at 3 o'clock for that drive-in service? Maybe more importantly, how many of you are going to be wearing shorts? It's a beautiful day out this morning. But it's only supposed to get to about 68 degrees. Is that shorts weather for you? Right? Put in the chat if it's shorts weather for you or if you're a no shorts person on a 68 degree day. I, I think it's going to have to be shorts for me. I'm hoping that I can get some sunburn on my ankles today. Maybe we can all stick our legs out the windows and get sunburn on our ankles as we do drive-in service together. As you saw in that bumper, we're starting a new sermon series called Everyday Idolatry. This sermon series is built upon the biblical foundation that you were made to have a relationship with God. You were made to know Him and to love Him. In the very first pages of the Bible, we see Adam and Eve have that kind of relationship with God before sin has entered the picture, where they are perfectly intimate with Him, where they are walking with Him and able to be with Him in total love and total community with their God. But then, of course, sin enters into the picture. God's design was that all of us would have that experience that Adam and Eve were having, that we would all have perfect relationship with Him, and out of that connection with Him, we would experience contentment and fulfillment and joy in life. But when Adam and Eve sinned, all of that broke. And now the Bible says that all of us are born outside of that relationship with God for which we were made. And so what does that mean? It means that all of us have a hole in our soul, a hole in our heart that can't be filled outside of walking with God in a relationship with Him. A famous 4th century teacher, Augustine, put it like this, You have made us for Yourself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it rests in You. Famous 16th century mathematician and philosopher Blaise Pascal said this, there is a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of every man which cannot be filled by any created thing, but only by God the Creator made known through Jesus. And C.S. Lewis, famous 20th century Christian author, said, Human history is the long, terrible story of man trying to find something other than God which will make him happy. You see, we were made for relationship with God. And because of sin and selfishness, we don't have that relationship for which we were made, and so all of us have a God-shaped hole within us. Every one of us has this hole that can only be filled in our life if we are walking in intimacy and right relationship with God our Maker. But as Romans 1 points out, Human beings are very good at trying to shove created things into that God-shaped hole that only the Creator can fill. Those things that we try and put in God's place in our life in order to bring contentment, in order to bring fulfillment, those things are called idols. And we shove all kinds of idols into that place that only God can fill. And of course, because they are not God for whom we were made. Those things don't ultimately satisfy us. 
Anything in our life that takes priority in our heart instead of God, that is an idol. Anything in our life that takes priority in our decision-making each day of how we're going to use our treasure, how we're going to use our time, how we're going to use our talents, anything that takes the priority away from Jesus and his kingdom, that's an idol. And God knows that idolatry is a tremendous temptation for the people that he has made. And so when he gave the nation of Israel a top 10 list, he started the list with these words from Exodus chapter 20, verse 3. You shall have no other gods before me. We were made to worship the one true God. It is the only way that we are right as people. And yet... Because of this dissatisfaction that we experience in life, because we know there's something more and we don't necessarily want to bow our knee to our creator and our maker, people are prone to shove all kinds of things into that God-shaped hole. Those things are idols. Those things that take the priority of God are idols. Now, we don't worship the Baals and images carved of wood and stone like they did in the Old Testament. The idols that we worship these days are idols of the heart. And the four idols that we're going to be looking at in this series, we've made to all start with the same letter so that we hope that they stick in your memory. And those four idols that we're going to cover are these. The idol of possessions. The idol of pleasure. The idol of performance. And the idol of popularity. These are the things that compete with God for our heart and compete with God in our daily decisions in how we're going to use our lives and our resources. And anytime these things get ahead of God in our lives, they are idols in our lives. Now we're going to start today by talking about the first one of those idols. Perhaps the idol that pops into our mind first when we think about modern day idols the idol of possessions and money. Now, you may be thinking, is that really an idol that we're challenged by right now? We're living in a situation in which people's hours are getting cut, a situation in which people's jobs are uncertain, in which small businesses are closing, in which the economy is struggling. Is this really a challenge for us right now to worship the idol of possessions and money? I can see that we would worship that when everything is great and things are flourishing and we're just adding thing upon thing upon thing in our lives. But, but is that really a challenge right now with what we're going through? Well, I think the answer to that is yes. As a matter of fact, I think one of the things that's happening right now is that during this stay-at-home order, there are priorities and even idols that are being revealed to us in our life. As we spend more time with God, He is revealing more of those things that compete with Him for priority in our life. And for some of us, the idol that is being shown to us is that idol of possessions and money. You may see that idol in your life expressed in the way that you tie together financial security and the pursuit of happiness. Or you may see that idol in your life with how strong your reaction is to certain financial insecurity. Or you may see that idol right now in your life with how unwilling and challenged you are to be generous towards others because 
you have your own plans and your own things that you want to get. You may see that idol in your life right now because it's hurting you in order to cut certain things out of the budget and maybe hurting you more than it should be. This idol of possessions comes about when there is plenty and it also comes about when there is little. And I think it's important that I remind us this morning that the idol of possessions, this covetousness in our heart, isn't primarily about us wanting to become millionaires. This covetousness or idolatry of possessions is primarily, for most of us, about just wanting to get the next thing or just wanting to get to the next level in our finances. We can see this covetousness, this idolatry of possessions in a really perfect example in 1 Kings chapter 21 where there is a wicked king named Ahab. He was a wicked king and a terrible man. Because he was the king of Israel, he had more possessions, more money, more stuff than anyone else in the country. And yet one day he was walking by this vineyard a vineyard that belonged to a man named Naboth. And when Ahab looked at this vineyard, he wanted it. Now, he already had more property and more vineyards than anybody else in Israel, and yet when he looked at this particular vineyard, he says, I'm not going to be happy unless I have that vineyard that belongs to Naboth. And so he went to Naboth, and he said, Can I buy your vineyard from you? And Naboth's response was, I'm sorry, but this is family land and I don't feel free to sell it to you. And so how did Ahab respond to that? Well, 1 Kings 21 says that Ahab went back to his home, threw himself down on his bed, and had a pouty fit. He had an absolute pouty fit there on his bed, probably hitting his pillows with his hands. We got any kids out there that have ever thrown a pouty fit like that? We got any adults out there that have ever thrown a pouty fit like that? Ahab was throwing an amazing pouty fit for the ages when his wife Jezebel walks in. His wife was also a terrible and wicked person. And Jezebel asks Ahab, Ahab, what's going on? And Ahab tells her what's going on. And Jezebel says to her husband, Ahab, is there any chance that any time soon you're going to grow up and be a man? And then she goes out and gets the vineyard for Ahab and has Naboth killed in the process. See, Jezebel has her own sin issues. But Ahab's sin issues started with coveting. They started with this idol of possessions. If I just had that, then I think I would be happy. And he is a wonderful example to us of what this can look like. I just want a little bit more. I just want the next thing. I shared with you a few weeks ago during our sermon series on Colossians, a study that had been done about what people make and then what people thought they needed to make in order to be truly happy. And in that survey, those who made about $25,000 a year indicated that they would need about $40,000 a year to be truly happy. People who made about $50,000 a year indicated they would need $80,000 to be truly happy in life. 
Those who made 100,000 said it would take about 150,000. Those who made 200,000 said it would take about 300,000. And we noted that we always seem to be about two-thirds of the way to happiness. Because for most of us, the idol of possessions isn't about becoming billionaires and trying to compete with the people at the top of the list of wealth in our world. For most of us, coveting and the idol of possessions is primarily about just getting the next thing, getting a little bit more. We see that in our response to possessions around us. I've got the iPhone 35, and it's got eight cameras, but in a week, the iPhone 36 is coming out, and it's got nine cameras. I've got to have that ninth camera. Right? Or I've got a 55-inch television, but man, if I just had a 70-inch television, all that sports that's not on TV right now would look terrific. Or, yeah, it's great that I have a Chevy, but if I only could afford a Buick, my life would be amazing. A Buick. Scratch that I said that. I, I am not ready to be in the Buick demographic yet. Uh, insert your own illustration right there without me driving a Buick, if you would. Whatever we have, it's just a little bit more. It's just the next one that the idol of possessions pushes upon us. The idol of money and possessions is rarely about being millionaires, but is about when Jesus and his kingdom get squeezed out in our daily decision-making by the desire to have just a little bit more. It's rarely about being millionaires or billionaires, but the idol of possessions is about when Jesus and his kingdom get squeezed out in our decision-making by the desire to have just a little bit more. Now, why is this idol of possessions so tempting for us in our life? Let me give you a couple of reasons that are probably pretty obvious about why possessions are a potential idol for us and constantly tempting to put in the place of God in our lives. The first is this. Because stuff, because possessions, really does provide a temporary happiness in our life. One of you recently gave me a brand new ice cream scooper. You were at my house and you saw my old ice cream scooper was a little worse for wear. And you gave me a brand new ice cream scooper. And I was pretty happy about that for a couple of hours. It was a blessing. And it made me happy to get a brand new ice cream scooper. And that's just an ice cream scooper. right? When you get a new car, that kind of new car euphoria, it can last for a couple of days or so. And you have all experienced that temporary happiness that comes with getting something new, haven't you? You've also experienced the fact that it doesn't last. We're going to talk about that a little more in a few minutes. But the first reason that possessions is a temptation to us as an idol in our life is because there is a temporary happiness that comes with getting new things or getting to that next level in our bank account. The second reason that possessions are a temptation for us in terms of being an idol is because our world is constantly bombarding us with the message that this is how you can find genuine joy and contentment in life is by just getting the next thing. I remember a few years ago, well, more than a few years ago now when my kids were very small and we were watching cartoons together. 
And advertisement after advertisement during those cartoons wasn't aimed at me. It was aimed at my kids. And they were all trying to convince my kids that if they were genuinely going to be happy, they really needed to buy this particular breakfast cereal or get this particular toy. All of those advertising, all those advertising agencies were conspiring in order to try and make my life miserable the next time I took my kids to the store, weren't they? They were all conspiring so that we would go down aisle after aisle and my kids would say, I need this, I need this, because I heard that I really need it in order to be happy. And that doesn't end when we're kids, does it? Do you remember a few years ago when Best Buy had the slogan, you happy? Right? What, what were they communicating to us? That genuine happiness can be yours if you will just come in and buy the next thing. Now, what Best Buy was saying overtly is what adver every advertisement says covertly, and that is genuine happiness, contentment, and joy can be yours if you will just get that next thing, whatever it is. Right? That, that's how the idol of possessions is pushed upon us in our world. Why is it tempting to us? It's tempting because stuff does provide temporary happiness. And it's tempting to us because more possessions is the message of the world. You'll be happy if you just get the next one, if you just get to that next level. Now, one of the messages that God communicates in His Word repeatedly is that this promise of fulfillment through the next possession is a lie. One of the richest men, one of the richest men in the history of the world wrote the book of Ecclesiastes. In Ecclesiastes chapter 2, he talks about all of these astounding buildings and works that he built. He talks about all of the gold that he has and how he never denied himself anything that he looked at and he wanted. He was unbelievably wealthy. And this man who only identifies himself in the book of Ecclesiastes by the title teacher has these words, these teachings for us about how empty it is, how foolish it is for us to spend our life trying to pursue more and more possessions and more and more money. He says in Ecclesiastes chapter 5, He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This also is vanity. When goods increase, they increase who eat them. And what advantage has their owner but to see them with his eyes? Sweet is the sleep of a laborer, whether he eats little or much, but the full stomach of the rich will not let him sleep. There is a grievous evil that I have seen under the sun. Riches were kept by their owner to his hurt, and those riches were lost in a bad venture, and he is a father of a son, but he has nothing in his hand. As he came from his mother's womb, he shall go again, naked as he came, and shall take nothing for his toil that he may carry away in his hand." The author of Ecclesiastes here, one of the richest men in the history of the world, says, you guys, this pursuit of riches, it's vanity. It's meaningless. The Hebrew word here is a word that means vapor. It looks like it's there, but if you go to grab it, there's actually no substance. And he's saying that is what is true of the pursuit of riches and the pursuit of wealth and possessions. It looks like that might be a pathway to joy. It looks like it might be the pathway to life fulfillment and contentment. But when we go to grab for it, 
That isn't in fact the case. It isn't in fact the case. And he says, there is actually a great deal of foolishness in trying to pursue the next thing, in coveting and coveting and coveting some more. He lists a number of different things that are foolish about that pursuit, but let me just pull three things out from what he said. The first is this. Pursuing possessions with our life is foolish because our possessions and the pursuit of them, it brings worry. There's a couple of ways that pursuing possessions bring worry into our life. The first is this. The more valuables we own and the more we invest in them, the more we have to worry about. My wife and I experienced this when our kids were little. All of our furniture were hand-me-downs that were beat up. And one day we decided to buy a new chair for the living room. We brought that new chair home and what did we find? We found out that with that investment, we now had a whole new set of cares that led to a whole new set of worry. Hey kids, don't roughhouse on the chair. Hey kids, don't eat on the chair. Oh, you have a runny nose? Get away from the chair. ATV ride. First night at the cabin with my... Did anyone else hear that? I feel like some radio broadcast just came in and tried to hijack my sermon. Wow! Well, as I was saying before that woman interrupted me with the forecast, uh, there are all kinds of ways in which the more we have, the more worry that produces in our life. The person who doesn't have anything and instead and doesn't have anything invested in the stock market because of it, they don't pay a whole lot of attention to what's going on in the stock market. But the person who has a lot and has it invested in the stock market, there's a tremendous amount of care that goes on with what's going on in the stock market and worry that goes with that. But an even greater worry that comes with trying to accumulate possessions is the worry with whether or not we're going to be successful. If I believe that my happiness and my contentment are tied to me getting that next thing, then that produces a tremendous amount of worry and anxiety about whether or not I'm going to get there. If I believe that my happiness is primarily based on whether or not I'm going to get to take this glorious and extended vacation that I've been planning for the last six months, and all of a sudden that vacation is threatened, there's a tremendous amount of worry, of an, a tremendous amount of worry and anxiety about whether or not I'm going to be able to pull that vacation off. If I have tied some of my happiness to the home I own, and all of a sudden, my job is a little up and down, and I'm not sure if I'm going to be able to keep that house. There's a tremendous amount of worry involved in that. Because I have said that home is essential to my contentment. And when we declare things to be essential to our contentment, it leads to worry about whether or not we can get them and whether or not we can keep them. And so the first reason that the author of Ecclesiastes says pursuing possessions is foolish is because possessions bring worry. The second reason that he talks about is that possessions don't last. Why accumulate a bunch of possessions that you can't take with you? Verse 15, he said, as we came from our mother's womb, so we shall go again. How much did we bring from our mother's womb? We, we didn't bring anything. How much are we going to bring with us when we leave? Right? We don't bring anything with us. There was a man 
who flew to Texas in order to be the keynote speaker at a conference. And when he got off the plane, he realized his bags never arrived at his location. This presented a problem for him because he was speaking at the kind of conference in which everyone was going to be in suit and tie every day. And now he not only didn't have any suits, he didn't have any undergarments with him. And so he presented his problem to the woman who was running that particular conference. And she said, don't worry about it. I'll take care of it. Uh, just meet me tomorrow morning in your hotel and, and I'll take care of everything. And so she showed up the following morning at his hotel and she had some brand new undergarments from Target for him. And she also had three used suits that all had the dry cleaning tag ready to go for him, pressed and ready. The man put on the first suit and went the first day, did his teaching as he was supposed to. The second day, put on the second suit and went and presented. Third day, put on the final suit, went and spoke at the conference the way that he was intended to. And when the woman came to pick him up at the hotel, he returned all of those suits to her. Right? He, he didn't return the undergarments to her, but he returned all of those suits to her. And when he did, she said, well, how, how did they work out? Did they work out okay? And he said, yes, I'm so thankful for your willingness to go and get these suits for me. And I realized that they were used, but you had them pressed. And I didn't have to spend hundreds of dollars on new suits in order to speak at this conference. I can't tell you how much I really appreciate it. He said, the only problem I had is I struggled to figure out where to put my keys and my billfold because in all of these suits, none of the pockets have been cut open. In the pants, in the jacket, all of the pockets are still sewn shut and no one has ever cut them open. The woman thought about it for a minute. She said, yeah, I guess that would make sense. You see, I got the suits from a friend of mine who runs a funeral home. And he has a friend who runs a business selling suits. And his friend gives him all kinds of suits that he doesn't sell that he can then use to give to his clients who don't have enough to buy nice clothes for their loved ones who are going to be buried. And so all of those suits are intended for those who are about to be buried. And I suppose it would make sense that they wouldn't need the pockets. Yeah, that's true, isn't it? We have no need when we die for pockets because there is nothing that we own that we are going to be taking with us. When I was young, I had a friend named Steve, and Steve's family was pretty well-to-do. And Steve's dad always wore a shirt that said, the one who dies with the most toys wins. It's distinctly possible as I read the Gospels and read Jesus' ideas that he would have a very different opinion of the person who dies with the most toys. That in fact, Jesus might say, the one who dies with the most toys may very well have wasted the opportunities that I gave them to use resources for my good. What point is there in accumulating all kinds of things? None of it is going with us. God has a different idea for how we use His resources. And so it's foolish to pursue possessions because possessions don't last. And then the final reason that the author of Ecclesiastes give us, gives us for why it doesn't make any sense to pursue, pursue possessions is this. Our possessions don't satisfy. 
Possessions don't satisfy. When the richest man in the world at the time, a man named John Rockefeller was asked which million he had made was his most satisfying million by a reporter who fully thought it was going to be the first million that he had made. Rockefeller's response to her was this, my favorite million is always the next million. And when he was asked how much is enough, he famously said, a little bit more. If we're seeking to find contentment through possessions, that will never happen because the hole that is within our soul is a God-shaped hole that longs for relationship with our Creator. And there is no way that any created thing, any amount of money or any possession can ever satisfy what only God can satisfy in relationship with Him. And so the more we get, the more we crave. And we are actually poisoning our soul as we long for and covet the next things in our life. It's as if my kids went out running, which they're doing a fair amount of during this stay-at-home order. There are limited places they can go, and that seems to have driven them to go out and run. And so they go out for these four- or five-mile runs together. Sometimes they go out individually as an aside. They don't get that desire to run from their mom and dad. Right? Their mom and dad might run if someone was chasing them with a knife, but that's about it. But they love to go out and run. And what if they went out and as they were running, instead of taking a bottle of water in order to quench their thirst, they took a bottle of ocean water out to quench their thirst. What would happen as they brought that bottle of ocean water up in order to drink from it as they were thirsty? There might be just a moment just a moment of satisfaction where those dry and parched lips get a little bit of cold liquid and there's a brief moment of satisfaction that comes from just having something wet hit your tongue. But ultimately, what's going to take place as they drink that ocean water? All of that salt water is only going to make them thirstier and ultimately, it's poisoning their bodies. And God says the same thing is true of us when it comes to the idol of possessions. When we are coveting a little bit more and a little bit more, when we get that little bit more, it'll only drive us to want more from there. And that drive for a little bit more is actually poisoning our soul. Jesus says in order to have a fulfilled life, in order to have all that I have intended for you to have, you need living water. But instead, we seek to fulfill our soul with possessions. We covet things, and it poisons our soul. If we're pursuing satisfaction in life through the next thing, the next thing will never be enough. So how is it, friends, that I can battle this idol of possessions in my life? What do I do to battle this idol? Sorry, my clicker died when uh, that lady came on and gave us the weather report, so they're going to have to switch it for me upstairs. First, confess and repent. Uh, recognize that if there is any idolatry in us when it comes to possessions, 
when it comes to money that Jesus says that's a really big deal. Listen to Luke chapter 16, verse 13. He says, No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Recognize in our life, I can't turn to God and money for comfort in my life. I can't turn to God and money for peace in my life. I can't turn to God and money for joy in my life. God and possessions can't both serve that place as priority in my daily living. And so if there is any hint of idolatry in my life when it comes to possessions, when it comes to money, we need to root that out, confess it before the Lord, and repent of it. And then second, we need to fill up with God. It isn't enough to just try and remove an idol. That is a God-shaped hole, or as Blaise Pascal said, a God-shaped vacuum. It wants something else. We want as people to worship something, to pursue something with our days. And if we simply remove possessions, some other idol is going to come in there. And so instead, we need to fill our heart and our soul with the presence of God. We're going to talk about what that looks like over the course of the next four weeks. But today, I just want to challenge you to fill your mind, to renew your mind with the scriptures that go along with this sermon series. Our theme verse is Psalm 73, verses 25 and 26. And it says this, Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Will you read that with me again? Allow it to pour over your mind. Allow it to pour over your heart. Whom have I in heaven but you, O God? And the earth has how much I desire? Nothing I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Usually I challenge us during these sermon series to memorize the passage that goes with the sermon series before the sermon series is over. But friends, this week I want to challenge you to memorize this passage this week. By the time we spend time again together next Sunday morning, have this passage memorized and allow the truth of this scripture to pour over your heart and mind, convicting you, strengthening you, and helping you to pursue God and God alone with your days. I, I want to invite you to go through some discussion questions today. Discussion questions that you may want to go over by yourself if, uh, in your journal if you're by yourself, or you may want to go over with a group of people if you have a group of people with you. And those discussion questions are meant to help us continue to examine our lives with the help of the Holy Spirit about this idol of possessions, to root it out of our life and to begin to pursue Jesus with all that we have. Question number one is this, what do people find tempting about the pursuit of possessions? Question number two, where can you see this temptation in your own life? Why is using your life to pursue the idol of possessions a foolish pursuit? Is there any way that God is challenging you to live differently when it comes to coveting and contentment? And finally, 
what ways can we battle against the idol of possessions in our life? I want to encourage you when the service is over in just a couple of minutes to go ahead and spend some time going over those discussion questions. But before we do, of course, we're going to spend some time worshiping God and exalting Him and declaring how great He is. Just a reminder that we would love for have you, to have you worship God through giving as well. To say, God, you're, you're a priority in my life and I'm giving to you of what is valuable. And you can do that through the website or through our app or through mailing an envelope to our church campus. But right now I want us to lift up and exalt our voices to our great God and talk to Him about how much we love Him and how much we want to praise Him. Father, we're so thankful for Your goodness in our lives and we pray that Your Spirit would be at work in us right now rooting out any idolatry of possessions in us, any ways in which a little bit more getting to the next level might be compromising our total and complete devotion to you and to your kingdom. Lord, root that out in us and continue to overwhelm our hearts and minds with complete and total devotion to you and all that you are. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.
Well, church, isn't that so true? God does reign in our life. And as we're going through this Everyday Idolatry series, sing that song and uh, put God back on that pedestal of whatever possession or anything else that has taken over that pedestal where God belongs in our life. Put God there and let him reign in your life. Sing that song this week. Uh, I hope to see you guys at the drive-in this week. I'll be driving a uh, dark blue minivan. Uh, license plate starts with the DGV if you want to say hello or give me a honk. I'm so looking forward to seeing everyone eventually someday when we get back in these buildings. Um, Jesus, we love you so much. We thank you for today, and we just pray that you bless this morning and uh, bless the rest of our day in the drive-in. We love you, Jesus. Thank you so much. Amen. <laughs>